Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Our guest for today's episode is my friend, Sarah May. Sarah is an author, a nationally known speaker, and the host of the Complicated Heart podcast. In her newest book, also called The Complicated Heart, Sarah tells the story of her most difficult relationship, her relationship with her mom. And that's what we're talking about today. Today's episode is all about our relationships with our family members, particularly the ones that are hard, painful, frustrating, or that feel impossibly broken. Friends, the truth is that family's hard, especially with the holidays coming up. I think we're all more aware of this than ever. Families are complicated. Our relationships with our family members are complicated. And if you're anything like, well, I think all of us, you're never totally sure how to navigate any of this. How do you love your family well? What do you do about family members who don't love you well? How do you forgive people who've hurt you? Does forgiveness mean that you continue to keep them close? If not, how do you set boundaries with your family members? Is there a way of doing that without totally cutting them off? Is there a time when you need to cut off a member of your family? How do you heal from the things that have happened in your past? And how do you prevent those patterns from continuing into the future? Friends, these are just a few of the things that we're talking about in this episode, and I am so grateful that Sarah is here to walk us through this. But before we dive in, I wanted to make absolutely sure that you had heard my big news. Guys, my brand new book is officially here. I've been working on this book for almost a year now behind the scenes, and it means so much to me that I can finally share this with you. My newest book is actually a guided prayer journal, and it's called Every Single Moment, 100 Powerful Prayers to Help You Savor the Present and Prepare for the Future. And it was designed to help single women connect with God through prayer in a whole new way, leaving them full of joy, alive with hope, and ready for love. Friends, Every Single Moment really is a life-changing way of praying for your future husband. And if you head over to smaywilsonshop.com, you can grab your very own copy. I cannot wait to share this with you. Okay, with that said, let's jump into today's episode. Here's my conversation with Sarah May. All right, friends, I'm sitting here with my friend, Sarah May, and I'm so excited to introduce you to her. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I'm really excited to be here. So for women who aren't familiar with you, can you tell us who you are, what you do? And I'm excited to hear a fun fact about you. Sure. Well, let's see. I'll start with the fun fact. How about that? So I've got two for you. I've got my party trick and uh, just something else random. So I have a motorcycle license. Oh my gosh. People don't know that. Mm -hmm. Except that I don't actually ride a motorcycle anymore. Uh, My husband does. I got it in college, I think just because I wanted to stand out and do something different. And I had a little Honda Interceptor 250 for about a month and then decided I didn't want to do it anymore. (laughs) But I still technically have the license. Um, And my party trick is that I can tie my hair in a knot with one hand. (laughs) Random, random. How Okay. Everything about this is awesome. I love that you got a motorcycle <laughs> license uh-huh. just because. And yeah. uh, and I also love that you're like, mm, this isn't for me. So yeah. but I decided, <laughs> uh, I actually don't really like it. I think I just like to be on the back of it. I grew up on motorcycles. My dad okay. had one. My husband had one. And I, like I said, I think I just wanted to stand out and do something different. And yeah. that's why I did it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's amazing. Um, how did you learn to tie your hair in and out with one hand? Well, as you'll notice, the listeners obviously can't see, but we can see each other. I 
I just have been playing with my hair forever. I do it all of the time. And when you do something for so long, you just can do tricks like that. And so see, I just did it. You can't probably tell. Yes. Okay. We're going to have to get you to like do an Insta story or something when this comes out. My my little like circus trick, you know, it's whatever. That's really impressive. It's really impressive. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. Really quick. Okay. So I love that. So, so other than having a motorcycle license and being able to tie your hair in a knot with one hand, who are are you you? and what do you do? (laughs) Yep. Okay. Well, um, I'm a wife. I've been married for 16 years and I have three kids. They are 10, which is my girl. My boy is in the middle. He's 12. And I have an almost 14 year old girl, uh, which is I can't even believe that I'm about to have two teenagers in my house. I also have two dogs that are both puppies because obviously I'm crazy and love chaos. I am a stay-at-home mom and I started working essentially because I was depressed and lonely and tired. I had two toddlers and I was very pregnant and my husband said, you need to get a hobby. So I started to write online on a blog. My heart has always been to encourage women, see them healed and set free because of all of the things that God has done in my life. And and so I started to do this thing called blogging back in 2007. And from there, I was able to become an author. And now I have the privilege and opportunity to speak all over to encourage women to be set free, which is really the thing I love most, other than my family, my people. You people. I love that. I love that. Um, well, Sarah, I, I'm really excited to have you on the show today. You know, right now it's, you know, November and Thanksgiving's coming up and Christmas is coming up. And as I was thinking about what, you know, what I wanted for season seven of the podcast, I knew that, you know, around this time, we're all starting to think about home and family and what that looks like. And, um, I think, you know, all of our family situations are, you know, they run the gamut. But even if we have really wonderful families, really healthy families, even Mm -hmm. every single one of us still has things about our families that feel complicated um, and that feel tricky. And I think, you know, I don't know if anyone else is feeling this right now, but when I think most of us go home for Thanksgiving or Christmas, all of a sudden we turn into like the 16 year old version of ourselves. Yes. Oh my gosh. What is that? All of a sudden you're like, comes out. Yes. And she's a little surly. She's a little sassy. She's like, I mean, just we immediately turn from the wonderful grown women that we are into our 16 year old selves, which like weren't necessarily our best years. And so going home and family is just hard. And, And especially over the holidays, I think we have this image in our minds of what our family is supposed to be or what we hope they are. And no, no family can ever really match up to that because they're people and they're humans, um, yes. not, you know, a Christmas movie. And so <laughs> with all of that in mind, you recently came out with a book called The Complicated Heart. And I just knew that you would be the perfect person to encourage us as we are headed mm-hmm. home for the holidays and and thinking about family and home and what that means to us. And so can you tell us about The Complicated Heart and, you know, what led you to writing it? Yeah, absolutely. So I have always sort of, well, so for, let me just say this. So first of all, I've always had a desire to uh, be someone who encouraged women, even when I can remember being in eighth grade and thinking uh, when I didn't have anybody to share my sadness with, I was really sad in eighth grade. Um, and I'm going to tell that story in just a minute. But um, I remember thinking even then, like, I just maybe I could be a counselor and just listen to people who don't have somebody to just listen to their hurts. And so it all started back then. And then in college, I studied um, human development and family studies because I wanted to be a counselor. 
just, I'm only saying these things because the thread of my heart, the way God wove me together was that I do have a real heart for women and for healing and for freedom. And so with this book, this is actually my story. So the complicated heart is the story of how I learned to love and forgive my alcoholic mother, but it's actually more than that. It's for anybody dealing with a complicated relationship, you know, a mind mess, tangled up situation that you're like, you know, how do I, how do I forgive this person when my wounds are still open? How do I know when to stay and when to go? How do I know how to set boundaries? You know, all of these sorts of things. And when my mom passed away a few years ago, I, I just, I was with her on her deathbed. And I just remember saying like, I'm going to tell her story. Like I'm going to tell what God has done because there is hope in the dark. There's hope even in the deepest, darkest pits. And God still answers impossible prayers. And if we're still breathing, like it's not over yet. There's still hope. So with that, before we move into all the holiday stuff and, you know, more about my mom and our relationship, I would just say I wrote it because I really ultimately want to see women healed and set free. Oh, I feel like everyone, no matter what they're doing, just sort of like took a deep breath and kind of slumped down, but in a way where it's like, you feel mm-hmm. like you're about to be given a hug you've needed for a while. An exhale. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so tell us, I know that this is a really huge question. Um, and so I'm almost, I'm almost sorry to ask it. Um, but, but can you give us kind of an overview of your relationship with your mom and and what was happening in eighth grade? And, you know, just tell us your whole life story all in, you know, two sure, seconds. No problem. <laughs> I'm just well, it won't be two seconds, but I'll do my best. No, no you have way um, more than two seconds. Take <laughs> as much time as you need. Okay. So I, my parents divorced before I was a year old and my dad actually got custody of me, which isn't normal, but in my world, that was normal. And so I never questioned it or thought it was weird until I was a teenager. And then I thought, I really want to live with my mom. Um, and my mom and I had had a good relationship. They, My dad and her lived in different states. So she was in Georgia, my dad was in Pennsylvania. And so I would go and visit my mom in the summers. And she was the coolest. Like I always said, I want to be just like her or Madonna. Like <laughs> that's what I wanted to be. And I was not a Christian or anything like that. And so I loved my time with her. She was so cool. I felt like I could talk to her about anything. And so when I was 14, I told my dad, I want to go live with my mom. And he really didn't have too much of a choice because I was old enough to make the decision. So at 14, I packed my bags right before the school year of eighth grade. And I moved to Georgia with my mom and her 20-year-old boyfriend, who was half her age, and my little sister. Uh, We have different dads. She was already there. And um, it was awesome at first. It was so great. I could do what I wanted. I really didn't have any rules. I didn't have to clean my bedroom. (laughs) Uh, Like teenager dream, right? But it soon became apparent that my mom was an alcoholic. And I had no frame of reference for what an alcoholic was. I just knew that my mom was very mean to me. I know now that there was verbal and emotional abuse. She would gaslight me. We can talk about that if you want to later. And and I just would watch her and her boyfriend drink a ton. And I think I must have seen a show or something where there was an intervention and somebody said like, you're an alcoholic. And then the person was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I'll get help. And you know, there was like a tied up nice bow. So I thought, oh, like I just need to tell my mom that she's an alcoholic and like how mean she is. And if I just tell her, then she's going to want to change. And so at 14 years old, I remember in my um, innocence, really going out to talk to her and um, 
and saying, you know, mom, I have to talk to you. And she's kind of rolling her eyes and she doesn't take me very seriously. And, you know, this is the person who would say like, uh, I had braces, I would smile and she'd be like, you're so ugly, you know, things like this. And so I go out and I say, mom, I stumble out the words. I think you're an alcoholic. And she just starts laughing and she's like, so what? And I'm like, this is not what the show said. What do you say when somebody says that, so what? Like, I don't care. And I said, mom, you are really, really mean when you drink. And she's just kind of like laughing, rolling her eyes, like totally not taking me seriously. And so in my teenage brain, I'm like, how can I hurt her? Like, how can I get her to take me, not her, how can I get her to take me seriously? And it sounds dumb to say now, but when you're 14, you know, you're just doing what you can and whatever. And I say, I I don't even think I love you anymore. And she just laughs. And I realized soon after that, that I was really on my own. Like this was, I was, um, this was going to be my life and I was going to be on my own. And I just, there was nothing I could do to get her to hear me or how I felt. And so what happens is that you begin to have a fire that just burns inside of you all of the time because you don't know what to do with it when someone doesn't take you seriously and you don't know how to communicate that or process it. And my mom was very manipulative as well. And if I were to tell her that she hurt me, she would turn it around on me as though I was being too sensitive or I wasn't seeing things clearly. And um, that makes you go crazy because you don't know what is up and what is down. You don't know what is true and what is false. And so you just have this anger and you don't know what to do with it and you turn it on yourself and then you like, you beat yourself up. And it's like this. It's like if somebody were to punch you in the face and you were bleeding and you were to say like, ow, why'd you punch me in the face? And they were to be like, I didn't punch you in the face. Like you walked into my fist and they were so good at convincing you that eventually you were like, I'm such an idiot. I can't believe I walked into their fist. Like I'm so stupid. So that's what that was like. And that was our relationship. And at one point I can remember just sitting in the bathtub because I was so, so lonely and had no self-worth, you know, obviously just hated myself. And I remember looking at this pink daisy razor and thinking like, I wonder if you can kill yourself with a pink daisy razor. And I thought, I wonder if I were to do that, like if my mom would take me seriously. And I remember yelling out and again, looking back, it sounds so dumb, but whatever, I was 14. And I just said, I'm going to kill myself. And my mom said, go ahead, I dare you. And that was the moment I just slumped down in the tub and I just cried and I thought, well, that's it. Like, this is it. Because I didn't want to die. And so you just learn how to be on your own. And so that is sort of a quick overview of our, the beginning of the downfall of our relationship. Gosh, I know that, that really probably every woman listening has, has experienced something Mm-hmm. that connects with your story. And, you know, that feeling of, of being like feeling crazy. And like, you thought that like you just can't figure out what's up anymore. True. What's not true. Am I the one who's like doing something wrong? Am I making a big deal out of nothing? You know, am I too sensitive? All of those things. Yeah. It's a very, it's confusing. It's disorienting and it's infuriating. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you mentioned hope in the darkness. Mm-hmm. How did your relationship with your mom like progress from there? Yep. Did you keep living with her? And okay, so 
Um, I didn't know how much you wanted me to to tell, so that's why I stopped where I did. But yeah, so I'm with my mom. I I I don't know God. I get a boyfriend, and as far as I'm concerned, when you have a boyfriend, you have sex. So I start having sex at 14, and I'm just like, oh, that's just what you do. Um, I can remember an uncle coming to visit. And he gave me a cassette tape <laughs> of Christian music, and I had no idea there was such thing as Christian music. I had been in the Catholic Church with my stepmom, but I, so I knew there were hymns, but that's all I knew. And I can remember this man singing about this Jesus that I did not know, and I just remember crying out and praying, like, God, I don't know who this is. Like, I don't understand what this man is singing about, but I want it. And so I feel like even though I did not know Jesus— I, God was wooing me. And this wasn't the first time when I, even when I was a little girl, I can remember my sister was kidnapped by her dad when my mom had dropped her off for a visitation and we couldn't find her uh, for like six months or a year or something. And I was probably nine years old. And I can remember, there's so many parts of my story. It's, it's in the book. It's crazy. I know. And I, but I remember praying to this God I did not know, like, God, please, 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 like, find my sister, find my sister. And after however many months it was, we found her. And so that cemented in my little girl heart that there was a God. So fast forward back to 14, I'm having sex with my boyfriend. I'm crying out to a God to give me whatever it is that this Christian man is singing about. And then when I'm 16, I'm still with the same boyfriend, I find out I'm pregnant. So... I, uh, of course, am scared to death, and I uh, called a grandmother up from Pennsylvania, and I told her, and she said, I'll have it taken care of. And I remember telling her, no, I'm going to keep my baby, and she hung up the phone on me. And I called my dad, and he was so kind, and he said, maybe it'll be fun to have a little one running around. And I know he didn't mean it, but he was just trying to, he knew how scared I was, and I hung up with him, and I still hadn't told my mom. And my mom found out because the health clinic that I had gone to called, and they were like, is this a good time? And I was like, no, because my mom picked up the phone too. <laughs> but by then, my mom knew something was up, and so she asked me, and I told her I was pregnant, and she just completely checked out. Like, didn't say anything, didn't do anything. Like, it was like she became a robot. It was so weird. And I found out later that my mom had had two abortions and she'd never dealt with them. And so I think she just didn't know what to say. And she sort of became a little girl in that moment too and didn't know how to deal with it. So I was literally on my own except for this boyfriend. And in this small, tiny little town that I was in, girls got pregnant. So it wasn't that uncommon. Um, so we were like, well, we'll just get a trailer and like get married and have a family at 16 and, you know, start a family. But at this time, I was due to go back to my dad for summers in Pennsylvania. So I'm pregnant. I'm sick. Morning tonight, throwing up. I go back to Pennsylvania and my grandmother, who I was very close to, who wanted to have it taken care of, she just stops talking to me like completely. Won't look at me. I become like the black sheep of the family. Like nobody will talk to me or look at me. Just completely devoid of love. My dad didn't know how to handle it. So he was a little bit standoffish. And nobody asked me what I wanted to do. Everybody had ideas. My stepmom wanted to keep the baby for herself, which I thought was really weird. And then I thought, well, I could, you know, give the baby to a family who can't have kids, but nobody liked that idea. And then they talked about shipping me off to New Jersey to stay with an aunt so nobody would know that I was pregnant, like all these things. And not once did anybody 
like sit down with me and say like, how are you doing? Like, how are you feeling? I mean, I was scared to death and I was so very, very, very alone and I was losing weight and I was very sick. After three months of this, I was three months along and my other grandmother from Georgia, my mom's mom came to visit and she sat down next to me on my bed and she put her arm around me and she said, honey, if you just have the abortion, like you can go to prom and you can have a normal life. And at this point, nobody had touched me, you know, nobody had gotten close to me. And I was like, fine, like, I will just make everybody happy. I don't care. So I called up the other grandmother who said she'd have it taken care of and she made the appointment and the doctor said that I was way too fidgety to have an abortion in the clinic. So I went to a hospital. They changed my name. I had a prominent family where I was. And so um, they changed my name on the records. And the night before, I just sat in my bed and I cried and I held my my belly and I just said, I'm so sorry. And so I went into the hospital, was put out completely, had the abortion, woke up two days later in my grandmother's house because my stepmom, who was Catholic, did not want me to live there anymore. I came out into the kitchen and my grandmother, who before wouldn't talk to me or look at me, was sitting there with toast and a smile and we never talked about it again. So this is what is all the tumultuous stuff going on. And I you know, eventually I moved back to Georgia. Things are still terrible. And I'm finally like, this is awful. I'm done. I'm done with this town. I'm done with this, being the girl who was pregnant. I'm done with my boyfriend. And I had gotten this trailer. It's so crazy. I feel like I've lived an entirely different life, honestly. When I think about, when I talk about it out loud, I'm like, that was me. Like, this was my life. Like, yes, this was your life. And so finally, when I was 17, I think I was 17 at the time or Going into 11th grade, I was like, get this town off me. Like, I am done. I'm done. And I moved back to Pennsylvania. I wanted to start fresh. Nobody knew me as the trailer girl. Nobody knew me as the pregnant girl. Nobody knew me as the girl with the alcoholic mother. Nobody knew me as the girl who had the boyfriend who had a cracked addict mom who had to wear my shoes to school because they were in so much poverty. Like, just, I just wanted a fresh start. And, um, And I hated my mom. Like at that point, I mean, I just was done with her. I absolutely hated her. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. As many of you know, I recently wrote a book. And while it was the most rewarding project of my career so far, it also came with a lot of hard work and long nights. And sometimes when things started to feel a little bit overwhelming, I needed to get a few things off my chest so I could clear my mind and keep the writing process flowing. And the thing that helped me so much to sort through those feelings was therapy. Now tell me if any of this sounds familiar. Maybe you're going through something really hard right now, a big loss or a gigantic life transition. Maybe you frequently feel anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, or just generally discouraged. Maybe you really, really, really want your life circumstances to change, but you don't know how to actually change them. Or maybe you're feeling stuck as you try to work through your past, navigate your present, or figure out your future. Friend, if you can relate to any of this, you're not alone. I've been there, and therapy has been the thing that has helped me more than anything else with all of this. In the last 10 years or so, I've learned that strength isn't proving I can do it on my own. It's knowing that I don't have to. I'm at my strongest when I have a full support system around me and an essential part of my support system is therapy. 
Therapy can be absolutely life-changing. That is, if you can afford it and find a therapist you like and trust. But of course, this is easier said than done. And that's why I'm so excited to be partnering with this week's podcast sponsor. Our sponsor for today's episode is BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the easiest and most affordable way I've ever found to find a great therapist. It's entirely online and super easy to sign up. You can get started right away. And if you don't love the counselor you're paired with, switching is easy and it's free. If you're going through something hard in your relationships, or if you're in a funk you just can't shake, if you've been feeling anxious or depressed lately, or if you're feeling stressed and you need help balancing your everyday life and schedule, BetterHelp is an incredible resource for you. And I'm so thankful that they've given me a promo code that I can share with you to make it even easier to get started. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash friendship today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash friendship. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. Friends, springtime is finally here, but that also means allergy season is in full swing. I have always struggled with allergies and I don't know about you, but I am especially allergic to cats. More on that in a second. Well, luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. This double action combination of prescription strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, a runny nose, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, and sinus congestion and pressure with ease. The time that I use Claritin the absolute most is when I'm at my parents' house, my childhood home. They have this absolutely beautiful cat that they love and I like, except for the fact that he sheds so much. So that means that I'm basically sneezing from the second I arrive home to the second I leave, unless I take Claritin. My dad has even started having it ready for me right when I walk in the door. Are you ready to live life as though you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Claritin, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls' night. We love having you. So Sarah, I know that you tell the whole story in the book and you guys, we're going to link to it in the show notes because I know that every single woman listening is like, I need this book right now. But I know that you did eventually forgive your mom and I know that there was some redemption there. How did that, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. So I did become a Christian in high school. And after that, I felt like I be, I mean, I became a total Jesus girl and, um, re, you know, reading the scriptures. And of course I'm reading about forgiveness and love and all of these things. And I'm like, God, I do not love my mother. Like I do not want to forgive her. And I felt like God just gently kept, you know, drawing me back into relationship with her and saying like, do not cut her off. Like stay in relationship, forgive her. I will teach you how to do it. Cause I'm like, if you don't teach me how to do it, like I can't. 
And he did. And so, so very kindly and gently as he does, he brought people into my life to help me and teach me and show me. So for, for example, I had one mentor woman teach me how to deal with my lies. I had believed so many lies about myself um, and about the world around me and about others and about my mom. And she taught me how to uncover these core lies. Um, so I began that process. And then I, I found an alcohol counselor who taught me how to set boundaries with my mom. You know, I remember saying, well, how do I deal with her? Like when she's on the phone, we get in this tangled conversation and I can't get out of it. And this is like our rhythm. And he said, if I throw a ball to you, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to catch it. And he goes, and then what? And I said, well, I'm going to throw it back. And he said, so you've decided to play the game. And he said, if you don't want to play the game, don't throw the ball back. And so I began to learn about boundaries and not throwing the ball back. And I began to implement some of those things. And then I had a counselor. God led me to a counselor when I realized under all of my anger was deep, deep sadness that I did not have a mother. And my daughter heart desperately wanted one. And I had a counselor teach me how to mourn the loss of a mother as though she died. And this is all in the book, of course, but that was very painful. But when we grieve, it's the process of facing reality and letting go of our expectations. And so I needed to let go of her ever being the mom that I desperately wanted because the reality was she wasn't. But what that helped me to do and what all these other things that God led me through helped me to do was to see her just as a human made in the image of God who needed love. And so she did not get total say over my life. I did not have to see her when I didn't want to see her. Um, God taught me how to set those boundaries. And boundaries are just, you know, what will I tolerate and what will I not tolerate? And through that process, which took years, I did learn how to actually forgive her. I did learn how to even love her as just a person, not as my mother. (laughs) And then God did some really incredible, redemptive, shocking things that I can't wait for you guys to read about. I will say one of my impossible prayers was that she would stop drinking. And I prayed that for years. It was absolutely impossible. And uh, I'll just tell you that one day she did. I feel like everyone just needs to lay down for a second and just <laughs> soak that in. I, Sarah, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story, both with us here. I know that Gosh, I, I wish we could like hear the whole thing. It, it feels I know, so. I know. It feels so like. It's like I, like, it, I know. It feels che- like cheating um, to to have <laughs> to like cram it all together. But um, really, thank you for for sharing your story in your book. Like truly, this is something that so many of us need to hear. And and again, like our family relationships all look different, but every single one of us has dealt with Mm -hmm. so many of the feelings that you're talking about and so many of the situations you're talking about. So with those things in mind, I have so many questions for you just as someone who has, who has, you know, walked this road. I I am so excited to get to hear from you on these things. And so (laughs) one of, one of the questions I had was as you've been writing and speaking about family relationships, Mm -hmm. especially mother daughter relationships, yeah. What are some of the common threads or struggles you've been seeing? Because I know it's easy for us to feel like we're the only ones with a tough relationship with our moms, but yeah. I know that that's not true. And so I would, I would, I would love to just hear like, what threat, what are, what are other people experiencing? Cause I, I just know that we're not alone, but it's so easy for it to feel like it. Yeah. 
I think guilt and lack of boundaries. We, so many daughters feel guilty if they were to set a boundary because they're going to make their mom sad (laughs) Um, or angry. (laughs) And so that's probably the biggest one that I see because there's just so much fear. (laughs) And I think that the, what we don't realize is one, if if we can, we are not responsible for our mother's feelings. Like we're not responsible for their reactions. We are responsible to be kind and to tell the truth and to obey God. I should reverse that, to obey God and to tell the truth and to be kind. (laughs) And so, for example, let's say a mother is uh, upset because their daughter won't come to their house for the holiday because she wants to go see her husband's family. And if the daughter were to say, uh, mom, we really want to go to so-and-so's family this year. And maybe the mom is like, you know, maybe she cries or maybe she's like, oh, that's fine. But like, I, you know, I'm just, you know, that's, that's totally fine. Like maybe we can work it out. Or maybe the mom gets mad and is like, well, why can't you make it work? I mean, there's all kinds of dynamics. This is one little tiny example. And so then the daughter feels stress and tension and anxiety, and then there's tension with her husband and her, and it gets very complicated and very messy. And then she begins, they begin to make decisions out of fear, and they're like, you know what, let's make it work. And then they stress their own family out, trying to get to two families on the same day, blah, blah, blah. You know the road I'm taking here. Whereas instead of that, you could be like a family I know who said from the beginning of their marriage, like on Christmas Day, we want to have Christmas with just our family. And then uh, every other year we'll see you. And on the off years, we're going to go see his family. And this is the way it is. And some families, you know, get upset about that at first. But over time, they learn like this is what this family has chosen to do. It doesn't mean they love us any less. It doesn't mean anything else. And here's the thing. We have to learn to be okay with somebody not liking us or somebody criticizing us or somebody being sarcastic. And we've got to begin to learn to recognize manipulation because otherwise we're always going to be in guilt. We're always going to be fearful and we're never going to set boundaries. And the more we are free in Christ and we know that we are loved and secure in Him and that our worth is in Him alone and that we can make decisions in freedom, He's the only one who has the authority to tell us who we are, we're going to be able to walk forward and make boundaries. And they will always be difficult at first. But eventually, people will settle into it. And those little comments or sarcastic remarks or things that people make, you'll be able to slide off your back or walk away and take a deep breath and pray. You can be okay if everything isn't perfect. We all want to make things like, you know, don't rock the boat. Well, it's just not going to (laughs) happen. So you just have to learn to be okay with some of the unsavory things. Sarah, you're speaking my language so much right now. It's it's so funny. And I feel, um, you know, my my mom is probably going to listen to this. Um, so hey mom. But I feel like she's laughing because she knows how much of a struggle that is for me. How how yeah. how often I go, well, I don't want to make this person mad or this person upset. And I mean, it's before I know it, I'm just an anxious, tangled mess because because it's it's because this is hard, because everything you said is hard. And this it is, is absolutely a struggle for me. But we want to free our children to make decisions on their own. And, you know, I can remember when my daughter was little and I made her, I'd always made like home cooked meals for the most part. I'm a terrible cook, but I would try, right? But one time I remember buying like a can of SpaghettiOs or something. And I thought, what kid doesn't like SpaghettiOs? So I made SpaghettiOs and my daughter just starts 
I see her, like, I can hear her crying. And I go over to her, or I had said, like, does everybody like the SpaghettiOs? And she's like, yeah, they're so great. Thanks, mom. But then I hear her crying. And I was like, honey, do you not like it? And she's like, no, I just really wanted to please you. (laughs) I really wanted to make you happy. And I remember having this moment of like looking at her and going, you're free not to please me. Like, I want you to learn how to respect my authority, you know, those kinds of things. But you don't have to please me. Like, if you don't like something, that's okay to, to like say, I don't like this, mom, or I would prefer not to do that. And we have lots of blind spots. We're always going to make mistakes. But just to be open to the Lord and say, God, like, will you show me where I'm being manipulative? Or will you show me where I'm being controlling? Or will you show me where I'm not allowing freedom? I I think that it's just really important that we learn how to trust God and walk in freedom. So, mm. well, so you've said the word boundaries several times, and yeah. I'm so glad because that's, the boundaries. Oh gosh, it's such an important thing. I you know we I love the example of Thanksgiving, and that makes total sense. But I feel like because this is not m- most of our strong point, yeah. I, I would love <laughs> you know just another example of like you know. We love our families. We want to please them. We want to be close to them because that's what love looks like. Or we feel like I need to love this person no matter what. They're my family. But sometimes that's not the healthiest thing. And so how do we love a family member, but also put up boundaries that keep us safe? Like how do we know what boundaries to set and how do we keep them? Yeah, it's a very broad question because we're talking about like on the spectrum you know, it could be something as simple as like, my mom really wants me to come for the holidays. And if I don't, you know, she's, she holds it against me all year. Or it could be something like when I go to my family's for the holiday, like I'm being verbally abused or I'm being, you know, something more traumatic, I guess you could say, or something, you know, whatever. So we, there, there's a bit of a spectrum here, but it all comes down to this is that you have to decide what you will tolerate and what you will not tolerate. And you have to be humble before the Lord and say, God, what do you want here? So here's what we know. We know that God calls us to love people. He calls us to love our enemies (laughs) and he calls us to love people we love, right? So both. Basically, that means everybody. But also, we know that we're not responsible for how people respond. We are that we are not there, whatever. That's just not our job. So if you were to, if somebody's hurting you or being unkind to you in a relationship, in a family, and you were going to visit them for Thanksgiving or whatever, this is where you would not play the game with the ball. This is where if somebody says to you, like, I don't know, you start into your rhythms of whatever your arguments are, whatever your, I'm trying to think of a more tangible um, example But essentially, whatever you won't tolerate, you say, I'm sorry, I have to go right now. Like you're talking to me in an unkind way and I'm not going to listen. Or if that's too hard to do, because let's say the person's very sarcastic or biting or whatever, and that's just going to make it worse. You could just say, hey, I got to run to the store real quick. Or, hey, I got to go like... I'm not feeling really well. (laughs) Like whatever it is, you can make an excuse, like get out of there. I think it's okay to get out of an unsafe situation. Okay. I do have an example for you. It took my brain a minute. So my relationship with my stepmom was very, very difficult, but I had grown up always going to my dad's house for Christmas. I say grown up, sorry. As an adult, my husband and I would go to my dad and my stepmom's house for Christmas. Well, 
at one point it got to, I did not want to tolerate it anymore. She was not kind to me. She would, um, it was just very tense. It was very uncomfortable. She wasn't outrightly mean, but it was just not pleasant. And I finally made the decision with my husband. I said, I don't want to spend Christmas in this tense, awful situation where I literally don't even want to be alone with her. And so we made the decision as a family, like we are not going to my dad's for Christmas anymore. And this was several years ago. And we just told my dad, we said, we love you so much. You are welcome to come to our home, but we are not going to come anymore. And we just stopped. And I think it was hard for him, but he understood. But even if he hadn't understood, that was a decision that we had to make for our family because it was not a healthy place for me to be in. And this goes back to us just learning to be okay with people being upset at us. Like you, at the end of the day, you've just got to learn to be okay with it. You need to be secure enough in your relationship with Christ that if somebody doesn't like you or is mean to you or is sarcastic or gives you or won't talk to you or gives you the cold shoulder or whatever it is, you know what? You're going to be okay. That is their choice. And if they confront you on it, you can kindly say like, I love you, but that is your choice. I mean, it's never going to be easy. There's no tied up bow answer I could give you because I think what we all want is we all want an easy answer. We all want it to not be hard, but it's never going to not be hard because we're talking about people who have histories and sin and wounds and pain. Like it's never not going to be hard, Right. but the freer you are and the more you deal with your own junk the easier it will become to set those boundaries and to be okay with criticism and all the other stuff. I, I love that. I, you know, something that that occurred to me as you were talking was, you know, we feel this pressure to love. Like we, we feel like we should love well everybody, mm-hmm. especially our family, and that's th- those things are both true. But I think that sometimes, often, we sacrifice some of our closest people for people Mm -hmm. who aren't as close to us. And so in that Mm -hmm. example, like, you know, maybe your kids are having, you know, a terrible day or crappy Christmas, or you and your husband are always fighting because it's so tense there. Um, Mm -hmm. and also it's, it's not good for you. And so in an effort to keep your stepmom happy, your kids Mm -hmm. are suffering. And I'm making this, you know, I'm, I'm, no, no, no. I totally understand. Yeah. It's like, we have to remember that, the, the people that we're responsible for loving aren't just the people we want to keep happy kind of a little bit further away or our, you know, our parents or our step-parents or, you know, our, our siblings, but that we're also responsible to, to our kids and our spouses and ourselves to like, taking care. First. Right. Exactly. Right. Exactly. But it's so crazy that like, I mean, I can't count how many, and I've gotten so much better about this. Um, counseling has been really helpful, but I love um, counseling. Everybody should go to counseling. Everyone when should God go to counseling. An issue, go to counseling. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's counseling has been so helpful in this of not sacrificing myself mm. on the altar of keeping other people happy. And well, sometimes people pleasing is what it is. Ex- exactly. Exactly. And, and before you know it, you're not able to actually really love anyone because you're so exhausted and so broken and so poured out that you have, you have nothing Love to give. And so, so in the process of trying to love other people, you are completely neglecting yourself and that's not right either. Well, and what is love? I mean, love is patient. Love is kind, you know, all these things and love tells the truth. It always tells the truth. So if you're letting somebody, I guess, walk all over you or manipulate you and you're making decisions out of fear, it's actually not very loving to let them do that. It would be more loving to say, this is what you're doing right now. And it's not okay. 
Yeah. yeah. And I had to do that with my mom and she hated me for a while, but eventually our relationship came back together because she knew what I would tolerate and what I wouldn't tolerate. Did she ever like it? No. Did she always bring it up like I was a terrible daughter? Yes. But you know what? It was okay. <laughs> you just, like I said, it all goes back to like, you got to be okay with who you are in Christ. But I don't think it's loving to just let it continue on because what you're also doing is if you have children, then you're teaching your children that it's okay. Yeah. And what kind of, what are we passing on to the generations? We want to pass on truth and grace and freedom. That is yeah. what we want to pass on. We do not want to pass on more bondage, more manipulation, like, you know, all of that. We don't want to pass that on. We want emotionally and spiritually healthy people because emotionally and spiritually healthy people are the ones who are going to love people. Uh, you know, boundaries, you know, I've mentioned are, are super hard for me, have been super hard for me. I truly have grown so much. But when, when you've said like what you will tolerate and what you won't tolerate, that perspective has made, has helped me so much, um, in thinking about boundaries that boundaries aren't what anyone else does because yeah. the boundaries with, a, with, you know, one person will be totally different than the boundaries need to be with someone else, depending on the right. day for them and depending on who they are and what your relationship is like, mm-hmm. we get to decide this is what I'm okay with. And this is what I'm not, this is how I deserve to be treated. And if I'm not treated that way, I'm going to remove myself from the situation. And so it has really nothing to do with anybody else. It's what your like what the rules of your house are. That's exactly right. And it doesn't mean we get to be jerks. Like it's not like we're like, well, I'm not going to tolerate this. Uh uh uh. Like it's not about that. It's it's we make concessions. We do, you know, we do think, okay, Lord, how can I love this? What can I do? How can I make a way? But right. Like, I'm not going to let you talk to my kid that way, or I'm not going to let you talk to me that like that is crossing a line. Like that is not okay. Like I will still visit you if it is, you know, if I feel like this is a healthy, good situation and, you know, and then sometimes, you know, grace covers a multitude of sins. Like sometimes we just let the comments roll off our back. We don't have to respond to every sarcastic comment. We don't, I think, you know, sometimes you just let it slide. You just do, you don't have to make a thing out of everything. You really don't. But I just don't want people to think that, you know, we get a license to be jerks when we set boundaries. I think sometimes we've been so scared and fearful that we, we, and I get this, this is normal, that when we finally learn uh, some confidence and we learn to set boundaries, sometimes we can get really like... (laughs) Kind of mean about it. (laughs) Kind of mean about it or strong, strong arm. And sometimes there's a time for that only in the sense that we're in process. But eventually, you know, we, we want to be, it's not about just making some wall around us. In fact, boundaries, Dr. Henry Cloud and Dr. Townsend say, you know, boundaries are not a wall. Walls don't let people in. Boundaries are a gate where you can let the good in and you can keep the bad out. And so we don't want to wall up and be that firm, solid wall. We want to be a gate that can open and close with wisdom. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's so good. And I think, you know, the and the thing I love about the fact that we get to build the gate, mm-hmm. um, that it doesn't, it really, it doesn't depend on anybody else. It depends on, on what we've decided is okay and, and allowed for us, yeah. um, is that we get to think about that in advance. And I yeah. think that that's something that's really helpful around the holidays, especially is just, yes. this yes. is what, you know, I'm, I'm going to think through what Christmas is going to look like. And maybe it's, instead of staying in the house with your family for the week, maybe you get a hotel room nearby. So you have just a little bit of space. (laughs) That's That's a really good boundary. I think that's great. And I think if you're, if you're somebody who's married and you're listening to this, like talk with your spouse, sit down and say, what do we really see for our family? Like, what is it? Like, how can we love our families, but how can we also 
be wise about this, you know, and be, and be loving to our own family situation. Um, if you're single and you're going home for the holidays, like just think ahead of time, like put some plans in place. Like if this happens, how will I respond to that? Like, Mm -hmm. what can I let slide off my back? And what am I going to say? Like, I know when I need to walk away. Like, do I have a, a backup plan where I can get out if I need to get out? Like put some things in place, think it through. Don't just go And then you're going to feel wildly out of control or that 16-year-old self is going to come out. You're going to be triggered left and right. And by the way, when you're triggered, there's probably a lie there or something you need to deal with. FYI, ask the Lord about that. But um, (laughs) so make a plan ahead of time. Like think it through. What are the things, what are the landmines of your heart that may happen? And then begin to think that through before you go. I know that so many of us have just, I mean, every single one of us has something that is feels complicated or broken or messy and and with our families. And the truth is that for most of us, our deepest wounds come from something that happened in our families yes. or growing up. Mm-hmm. How do and that's we, where I come too. Yes, yes, exactly. How do we, what are some, and you mentioned some of them, but I just, I feel like it's important to circle back. How, how do we get through these, Sarah? <laughs> like what are some resources or like, how do we get ourselves to a place where we can bring our, where, where we can be healthy, um, mm-hmm. free people? So I have a couple of things. One of the biggest things that is going to help you in your life is if you can figure out and recognize your core lies. Okay. So going back to childhood wounds, which we all have in some form or fashion, we children are excellent observers. We observe the world. And then because God made us volitional beings, we think. The problem is, as children, while we may be excellent at observing, we are not good at interpreting. We do not necessarily make correct conclusions about what we see. And so what happens is we take what we see, we make a conclusion about it, and then we often subconsciously live out of that. So let me put some bones on that. So with my mom, she never took me seriously. And so my observation that she didn't take me seriously was correct. My interpretation was, if somebody doesn't take me seriously, then I'm not lovable. Now, this was a subconscious thing. This was not like I was walking around thinking this. But it came out because if if there was any time in any relationships, as I got older with boyfriends or whatever, where a boyfriend would dismiss me or wouldn't take me seriously, like I flew off the handle because it was exposing something in me that at the end of the day, you were saying I was not worthy of being taken seriously. And if I'm not worthy, then what you're saying is I'm not worthy of love. I'm not good enough. And so once I recognized that lie and that I was demanding essentially subconsciously that people take me seriously, then we can go to the good news of the gospel, which is Jesus died for everything past, present, and future. And he is the only one who has the authority to tell us who we are. And we are loved and secure and righteous in him. And the truth is, I don't have to be taken seriously by anybody else because my worth does not come from anybody else. My worth comes from what Jesus says about me alone, period. And so the the sooner we figure out what lies we're believing, and a simple way to do that, I'm going to give you a really simple way. Pay attention to the things that make you angry, that make you anxious, which often there's fear there, okay, whatever you're fearful about, or what makes you depressed. I'm not talking about a chemical depression here. I'm talking about a situational depression, okay? When those things come up, they're like red lights on the dash of a car. They are alerting you that something is going on under the surface. 
And so you need to go to the Lord and say, okay, God, what is going on here? Search my heart and tell me what's happening. You could write those down in a journal when I'm angry, when I'm anxious, and when I'm depressed. When those things happen, what preceded it? Because there is almost always going to be a lie there. There is going to be something you have believed about your worth that you have not been able to verbalize or consciously processed yet, but it's there. And once you discover it, you're like, whoa, whoa, this has been rolling my whole life. Like in my interactions, in everything, you will be shocked. And actually, if you go to saramay.com forward slash core lies, I have a whole free PDF document you can get on how to walk through your core lies and figure those out and whatever. So you probably want, you might want to get that. Okay. So deal with your lies. That will, that will help you to get healed and free. You'll love people better. And then if, and when you have kids, you will not put your lies on your kids because I guarantee if you don't deal with them, you're going to put them on your kids and we're all going to fail our kids and we're all going to mess up, but we're going to mess up less (laughs) if you deal with your lies. Okay. Um, another resource that I would really encourage everybody is um, I've got two podcasts other than your own, which is excellent. I have a podcast called The Complicated Heart where we talk about all these kinds of issues in depth. So I would encourage people to listen to that. Also, there's a counselor by the name of Adam Young. He has a podcast called The Place We Find Ourselves. Have you heard that? No, I haven't. Oh, well, you're going to be hooked. It's phenomenal. And I encourage everybody to listen. He has a series on healing. It's three parts. Look up the Place We Find Ourselves podcast and find the three-part series on healing. You'll be blown away. You'll thank me. You're welcome. (laughs) Um, And to wrap it up, if there's any other resources, I have a list of resources on my website at saramay.com forward slash resources, which are books, podcast links, all that kind of stuff that deal with all kinds of different things from abuse to abortion to tangled relationships, all of that. So you can go there and get uh, that for free too. I love that. Thank you so much for giving us those resources, Sarah. I, you know, we've talked about so much in this episode that there's so many, like there's so many places to go from here and so many things (laughs) that each one of us um, is carrying. And, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to, we, we talked about counseling briefly, but I want to just kind of you know, give it one more plug that yes, please do. <laughs> this, um, I mean, I think the last ten years of my life, I've been mm-hmm. uncovering different lies that I've believed, and you know, I yeah. think life in in our hearts are, is, is interesting because we uncover one layer and can heal mm-hmm. in so many ways, but then sometimes we find another Absolutely. layer. And so Absolutely. if you, if that's happening to you, know that you're normal, mm-hmm. but you know, if you've been listening to the girls night podcast for a while, you know, that I, for the last couple of years have been in counseling, doing mm-hmm. a whole nother deep dive into, into, you know, lies that I've believed in boundaries and uncovering lots of different things. But just if you're sitting here today, feeling stuck and lost and broken in your family relationships or in the the things you believe to be true about yourself. I want to just promise you that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. We serve a God who brings life from death and beauty yes, from ashes yes. and hope from despair. And he is faithful to do that in all of our lives. And it, it's hard work. It is hard work facing the hard things in your heart and, and dealing with some of the junk that's happened in your family. But I can promise you as someone who's like, a step and a half, maybe, mm-hmm. um, ahead on, on this journey that it makes every single part of life better. It and does. Sarah, I, I'm so yeah. glad that you mentioned, you know, passing things on to your kids, but mm-hmm. it's also in our marriages and it's in our friendships right. and right. my, every single one of my relationships, including my relationship with the Lord and including my relationship with myself has gotten better 
as I've, you know, done like uncovered the next layer of lies and, and invited God into this next layer of healing. And, um, and so I know that this is hard work and I know that some women listening right now may be sitting there feeling really broken and really stuck in all of this junk that's in their hearts. But you guys, I promise it is worth the work. Yeah. And I, and I want to say something to add to that, if you don't mind, it's that first of all, you have a lot of wisdom. A lot of people will not deal with their junk until way later. And God is kind and he'll bring it up when we're 90 if we don't deal with it, but you're going to have a, it's going to be better if you deal with it sooner. So you have a lot of wisdom. God has given you a lot of wisdom, Stephanie. The other thing is, this is what's going to happen. If you've never started counseling or you have and you forget, it's kind of like having kids. You forget how painful it is and then you do it again. Um, Um, this is what happens. You get like excited because the, the, when you first deal with something, you're like, yeah, yeah. Okay. God, I'm going to deal with this. We're going to do it. Then you get into counseling and then it sucks. It's either dry. It's hard. It's you're confronted with something. All of a sudden the shame is there. You don't want to deal with it. All of a sudden you're like, this is stupid. Or you're not, it's not happening as fast as you want it to happen. So you're like, well, I'm going to bail. This counselor's no good. Okay. That is what's going to happen. <laughs> and that is all normal. It is normal. It takes time. And no matter how gung-ho you are at first, like one, it takes time. (laughs) And two, you are going to be confronted with something that's just going to make you angry. That is all part of it. Don't run away. Don't run away when you don't heal quick. Don't run away when you get angry and don't want to face a thing. Don't run away when you feel like this is stupid. I'm making a big deal out of nothing. The biggest lie the enemy is going to tell you when you go to counseling is this is dumb and you're making a big deal out of nothing. Trust me on that. <laughs> uh, you need to push through all of that. If the Lord has led you into counseling, trust it. Secondly, be curious. You don't have to figure your stuff out. That's just going to make you neurotic. All you have to do is be curious. If God brings something up, if he brings up anger, if he brings up a painful memory, if he brings something up, all you have to do is get curious and say, okay, Lord, I see you're bringing this up. What is my next step? You don't have to dig. You don't have to dig for it. Trust me on this, okay? You'll drive yourself crazy. Let the Lord guide you. Let the Holy Spirit guide you. And then the last thing I want to say about this is be gentle with yourself. Don't judge yourself. When something comes up and you feel angry at yourself and you're like, why would I think that? I'm so dumb or like I'm so bad or like I'm so sinful or I don't know, whatever. Fill in whatever your thing is. You can't heal if you're simultaneously judging yourself. It's better to say, like, let's say a really terrible thought comes in your head, or you think about, let's say you're married and you think about having sex with another man. I'm just trying to put it out there, okay? Instead of going, oh, this is terrible, say, um, because it is simple, but say, Lord, is there, like, let's say it's a recurring thing. I don't know. I'm making stuff up here. Lord, is there something you want to tell me? Is there something you want to teach me? Is there something beyond just you know, like my mind is doing this thing. Like, is there a certain person that keeps coming up or a certain pattern or a certain fantasy or a certain thing? If you have intimacy issues in your marriage, like instead of being angry at yourself for it, say, Lord, is there something you want to teach me? Is there something you want to show me? So my point is, whatever the thing is, don't judge yourself in it. Ask God if there's something he wants to teach you in it. And sometimes, yes, you just have to repent, and His kindness will lead you to repentance. But sometimes there's something more that He wants to show you and reveal to you. So be open and gentle with yourself. Mm, It's so good. Sarah, knowing that there are women listening today that are maybe even heading home for the holidays and, Mm. you know, thinking about tough family relationships, thinking about things that have really broken their hearts in the past, Mm. can you give that woman driving home for the holidays, just one last piece of encouragement or just one last 
reminder of like, just really whatever. Yeah, sure. You are loved right now. And if you know the Lord, which is easy to do, you can just believe in Jesus, bend a knee to him, surrender. You are secure. Your worth is in him. You are safe. Your soul is secure. And he will always guide you. You can always trust him. So no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the pain, no matter the wound, no matter the trauma, no matter no matter the past, present, or future, you are not alone and he will guide you. And all you have to do is ask. All you have to do is say, God, help. Will you show me my next steps? And then, and then you just have to be willing to surrender and take the next step that he shows you. So if you're going for the holidays and there's some tension or stress or nervousness, know that you're not alone. Know that you can walk away and pray and ask for help. Know that you have every right to set a boundary and to say, I'm not okay with this. And I would just encourage you that if the tension and the tangles are too much and they're too overwhelming or you're angry or sad or confused, get help, get counseling. There's no shame in it and you will get on the path of healing and freedom. And so I would encourage you to do that. But in all and everything, trust the Lord with it. Take everything to Him. Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. You guys, isn't Sarah amazing? I just love her and I love this conversation and I am so happy I got to share it with you. One thing I wanted to mention quickly is that I know we talked about a lot in today's episode. And so if you want to find the links to any of those things, all you have to do is go to my website. It's stephaniemaywilson.com slash blog. And for every episode, we have a blog post with the show notes. All the links will be there for everything we talked about, including all of Sarah's contact info so that you can follow her and so that y'all can be friends. The other thing I wanted to mention is that if you haven't had a chance yet, it would mean so much to me if you take a quick second to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. We've gotten so many amazing five-star reviews from y'all and you've left the sweetest comments. I really cannot tell you how much that means to me. And it also helps out our podcast more than you can imagine. So if you haven't yet, please just take one quick second to leave a rating and a review. Thank you so much. All right, friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with our last girls' night of the season. And trust me, you're gonna love it. See you then. See you then.